This is a broadcast of SmallCapVoice.com, a financial communications and investor relations firm. SmallCapVoice.com receives payment for investor relations and financial consulting services that it provides to its clients. You should assume that officers, directors, and employees of SmallCapVoice.com or financial analysts mentioned and their families hold a position and intend to trade in these securities for their own accounts. This is not an offer or recommendation to buy or sell securities. Information in this broadcast is presented solely for informative purposes and is not intended to be nor should it be construed as investment advice. As in all investments, an investment in a featured company carries an investment risk. Listeners should review the company thoroughly with a registered investment advisor or registered stockbroker. This broadcast does not purport to be a complete study of the featured company or other companies mentioned. Information used and statements of fact have been obtained from the featured company and other sources but not verified nor guaranteed by smallcapvoice.com as to completeness or accuracy. Such information is subject to change without notice. You're wired in smallcapvoice.com. Following is a presentation of smallcapvoice.com, today's leader in investor relations, capital formation, and retail support. Now, with your online business briefing, smallcapvoice.com's Stuart T. Smith. Thanks again for joining us here at smallcapvoice.com, where we shine a spotlight on some of the smartest and freshest plays here in the small and micro cap market. And as you just heard, I'm your host, Stuart Smith, and we're welcoming back to the show TerraTech Corp. The company's traded under the ticker symbol TRTC, and they've been one of our clients for quite some time. And this market just continues to grow. And which market am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about the cannabis-focused agricultural market. Let's talk to Derek Peterson, the CEO. He could tell us what's up with the company. And I also want to talk about something non-cannabis related at the end of this interview. So stick around for that. Derek Peterson, how are you doing today? Good, Stuart. Thanks for having us on again. Appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're very busy. Just by looking at the press wire listeners using that ticker symbol again, TRTC, you can see there's always a lot going on with this company. And just as we had a new president take office, Derek, this might be news that everybody has already digested and moved on from it. But I want to get your take because you are in the front lines of this industry. You're asked to speak on panels and you're asked as an expert to provide your expertise in these areas. And nobody can be an expert in what's going on with this administration so far far because we see these kind of vague shots across the bows on several different fronts, but Spicer and Sessions decided to take a take a shot at the chin of the medical marijuana and recreational marijuana markets here in the United States, basically saying, hey, recreational is not going to be tolerated. I may be extrapolating too much. Let's get what your take is on this, Derek. I, I guess it's just hard to say. I mean, and, and I think that goes with any subject matter around the administration right now, right? There's a, there's a lot of uh, bifurcation in, in, uh, in the federal government, you know, from the Senate to the House to the, to the executive offices in and of themselves, right? So cannabis layered on top of that, it's, it's not any different. It's already a complex issue with, the, with people on both sides of the aisle. The nice part about what's going on right now is, you know, if we had this conversation two years ago, it wouldn't be what it is today. But, you know, last November, we had eight of the nine pieces of national legislation go through, and it showed, uh, you know, overwhelming support for expanded regulatory environment for cannabis, even in swing states, even Arizona, which was the only piece of legislation that failed, only failed by a point or two. That's powerful. Florida, which passed expanded medical, was over 70% of the constituent base. 
So it's a powerful statement. You're seeing a huge kind of shift in, in how people view cannabis. And to me, that is creating constituent risk. That's creating re-election risk for people that aren't supportive of it. Over half the population supports regulation. So that being said, we do have an attorney general that isn't, isn't a fan of the industry. He's been very vocal about that. And they've put together a task force to review how they're going to be handling this industry. And I think they said they were going to have some semblance of uh, feedback come uh, the latter part of July. The problem with the task force is it's made up with the head of the DEA, the head of the FBI, the head of the U.S. Marshals. There isn't really any science backbone in there, but I think what's going to happen is this. We may have a little bit of a fight ahead of us. We may have a bit of a hostile environment, but the repercussions, I think, associated with any attempt to clamp down on the growth of this industry nationwide is going to be met with a response from the activist community, a response from the finance and economic and entrepreneurial community, and a response from the libertarian-minded uh, Republicans who may not necessarily care about cannabis, but they certainly do care about states' rights. And if there's one thing this administration has built their platform around, it's states' rights. Well, thank you for that, Derek. And let's get into some of these states because you and TerraTech have a real strong foothold within Nevada as well as California. Since Nevada is the newer market, let's start there and then we'll get your update on what's going on in California. Tell us a little bit more about the operations and the ramping up that's happening right now for the company in Nevada. Nevada, we got really lucky in, and, I, and I'll backtrack to the, uh, you know, the original days when we decided to go after Nevada. Uh, what we went after was eight permits in the state, thinking that it was a very competitive environment. Nevada is a very challenging uh, place to come in and try to do business with without long-term histories and relationships there. So we went after eight permits thinking, hey, we'd be thrilled if we got two. We won all eight, and we've been spending our energy over the last handful of years uh, to, to finish out those applications, get those permits, get the building permits, and construct the facilities. So today we have four operational retail dispensaries spread throughout the Las Vegas area as well as Reno, and we're building out two large-scale cultivation and extraction facilities to meet the wholesale demand for the IVXX brand. So the beauty of Nevada is where we got lucky is they passed adult use recreational legalization last November. They were one of the eight that passed. And fast forward to today, the legislative body out of Carson City has decided to fast-track the implementation of adult use meaning instead of waiting to January 2018 to implement it, they're going to begin to implement recreational sales in Nevada on July 1st of this year. So we picked up an extra six months of a head start in terms of having that environment open up to us. And why that's so important is when we entered the Nevada marketplace, we knew it was going to take two to three years to build the medical platform there, which is what it takes in most new areas to develop a large patient base and to have a sustainable business model. But what came as an unexpected you know, uh, opportunity for us was, again, the implementation, uh, the, the fast-track implementation of recreational, which we think is going to open up a gigantic market. We're talking 45 million people on an annual basis that travels into a few square miles, and there's really only about 30 to 35 retail dispensaries around the Strip that are about five minutes from the Strip. We have three of them that are going to be able to service that large portion of the market. So we're we're, we're actually really thrilled with what's happened in the Nevada marketplace, even more so than California, because it's a new market, because we think there's going to be a, an extremely significant ramp just based on recreational sales. And uh, the fact that they're implementing it this early is, uh, is a huge head start for us. 
Well, let's look at the numbers, listeners. March 31st, 2017, a financial summary for the full year 2016 came out. The full year revenues were $25.33 million. That's an increase of 154%. But with that increase and the new markets you're penetrating in Nevada, well, there's going to be increased selling general administrative expenses as well. You can look at all of these numbers, but clearly things are going very well for your company. As you just said, you, you thought you might get two. You got all eight licenses. Let's jump into California. Let's talk about California and what you've been able to do there. It seems like a couple of times a month, we're seeing new dispensaries adding on some of the products and the things that you're doing there with uh, with IVEX and other product and brands. So let's talk about that. Uh, California is a monster, right? It's the sixth largest economy on the planet, and it's the largest medical, or let's say it's the largest cannabis market in the United States. So we're thinking the market here is somewhere between seven and ten billion. It also was one of the pieces of legislation that passed last November was adult and recreational use in the state of uh, California. We've got a great footprint in Northern California, up in Oakland. Obviously, we have the vertically integrated facility up there from from seed to sale. We're building out our San Leandro operations. That's a great retail facility coupled with a new lab. And we're looking for M&A opportunities and organic permitting opportunities down in the Los Angeles and Southern California markets to make sure we have uh, a broad demographic exposure throughout the state. We think the market here will grow substantially due to the recreational adult use legalization as well, strictly because of the, of the tourism that comes into the, into the state. So we have a significant medical base built here now coupled with adult use recreational initiatives, I think is going to be a significant increase in, uh, in cannabis sales in the state. And that should pass, obviously, right down to the cultivators, the wholesale brands, as well as the retail dispensaries, of which we have exposure across that vertical as well. All right, let's go across the country and let's move into a completely different area. So much being said about medical and recreational cannabis that one of your subsidiaries gets kind of lost in that noise and it's Edible Gardens. I want to talk about this because I think we're missing the boat here as investors and potential shareholders of your company of how important Edible Gardens is to your company and the bottom line. Because a lot of the things that Edible Gardens does, well, it transfers very nicely into cultivation of medical marijuana and recreational cannabis but we as a country we're not we're not slowing down as a population so this sustainable farming the land that's being eaten up for other purposes there's just not enough land so edible gardens has an answer to this and i want you to take over now derek and tell us a little bit about what's been going on with edible gardens it's pretty simple. I mean, Edible Gardens was originally done as a hedge for the company uh, back when we were a little bit concerned about the longevity of cannabis. That hedge turned into a, a really symbiotic and synergistic division of the company. One of the reasons we were so successful in the Nevada marketplace is because of our agricultural backbone. They saw the fact that we dealt with Walmarts and Kroger's and Marshes of the world, the fact that we ran a 250,000-square-foot facility. as a It showed our competency, and uh, again, that was one of the reasons I think we walked away with the amount of permits we did in Nevada. But that being said, I, it does. It gets, you know, it gets treated as the stepchild a little bit. It gets lost in all the kind of hype around the cannabis sector. But the Edible Garden brand has expanded really drastically in the Midwest and the Northeast, and we're going to be migrating that brand out to the West Coast as aggressively as possible. And here, at the end of the day, the math is pretty simple. Aerable, farmable land is being reduced 1% to 2% a year through dust bowling, droughts, and urbanization. 
the population is growing substantially every year. So math is going to tell you, less farming land, more people, we're going to run into food shortages. Sustainable farming, vertical farming, indoor farming, controlled environment agriculture is really going to be the way of the future. And it, uh, at some point in the not-too-distant future, it's going to become an absolute necessity from a survival standpoint. So we're trying to position ourselves for that, but not like everybody else. It's one thing just to come out with a commoditized head of lettuce or a commoditized basil or, or, or what have you, but that doesn't differentiate yourself from everything else in the produce aisle. So the way that we've really tried to differentiate this brand is through creative packaging, through creative um, um, marketing, uh, merchandising at the store level, coupled with things, really research-driven technologies and science behind food agriculture. And I'm not talking about GMO because we're non-GMO, but through long-term breeding strategies and through our patented uh, partnership with Rutgers University, we came out with the Superleaf lettuce. So it's a, a, red, a red leaf lettuce and a green leaf lettuce that has six times the amount of antioxidants as blueberries. It's nutrient-dense, and consumers are getting smarter Every year with the dissemination of information, they're now understanding what the dollar that I spend at the grocery store, what am I getting for a benefit associated with that from a nutritional standpoint? Iceberg lettuce, relatively void of nutrition. Red leaf, green leaf, better levels of nutrition. Super leaf, obviously far greater from a nutritional standpoint. And that's the way we're going to differentiate ourselves. Those are done through complex breeding over, over a couple years. And at the end of the day, we arrive at a product that's superior from a nutritional standpoint that the competitors on the backbone of that red leaf and green leaf lettuce will be launching kale and spinach and a whole line of products. And that's one of the reasons I think Edible Garden will be a national standout from a brand standpoint. We're putting a tremendous amount of energy, but like you said, it certainly gets lost in the shuffle. But I think food in, in controlled environment agriculture is going to be in a very important subject matter over the next decade. It absolutely is. And listeners, we didn't even talk about IVEX or Bloom, which are both doing incredibly well. I want to make you go back to that March 31st press release one more time so you can pick up the numbers on their growth there. But as we talked about, Nevada, it's just better than could be expected. California, it's a monster, as Derek said, but I don't want you to miss out on Edible Gardens, so do your research there. That's all going to be available here at smallcapvoice.com as we create more and more articles about this company, its business model, and the markets that they're penetrating. So Derek, thanks so much for your time here today at smallcapvoice.com. Congratulations on a banner 2016, and we look forward to talking with you more throughout 2017. All right, Stuart, thanks again for having us. We'll chat soon. Take care. All right, for Derek Peterson, this is Stuart Smith saying thanks so much for listening. Smallcapvoice.com, today's leader in investor relations, capital formation, and retail support, provides its clients with the highest level of service. Our audio interviews are disseminated to one of the largest opt-in audiences available today. How? We at smallcapvoice.com believe in aligning and affiliating ourselves with other leaders within the investor relations community. By sharing resources, each affiliated firm is made that much stronger and each client is served that much better. Our focus is to identify and provide the very best financial services and solutions available to clients and their shareholders. For more information about our services, please call us at 512-267-2430 or visit us on the web at www.smallcapvoice.com.